This is episode 312 for June 2014. And if you're a fan of this podcast and our website, SpidermanCrawlspace.com, please consider supporting us and uh, go to the front page of the SpidermanCrawlspace.com and you'll see a little button that says support this site via PayPal and you can help ensure that more episodes come out and you can help us pay the bills and the ever-rising cost of bandwidth. On with the show. Okay, time for Spider History with JR. We're going back to June of 1994, 20 years ago, JR. Yes, indeed, 20 years ago, and uh, we are embarking on one of the, mo- the darkest, the most tragic eras of Spider-Man's history. This is <laughs> getting into this is getting this is the ground level, folks. Wow. Uh, a moment of silence, by the way. SamRuby.com, who in the past we've uh, used their resources to look up what came out what month. Uh, unfortunately, that site uh, is no longer with us. I was talking to the owner, and he's considering selling the website. So I, Sam Ruby was one of the first websites I ever went to for Smart. How do you do a moment of silence on a podcast? Does that actually work? Okay, everybody be quiet. All right, there it is. That's how you do it. <laughs> so we're using the resources of spiderfan.org and going month by month of what came out. And they, they put a little bit more of random Spider-Man stuff that came out this month. There's got to be at least 20 things Spider-Man related. But JR is going to stick to the main books of what came out. I mean, there's some fringe stuff like Marvel Tales. There's uh, the Shroud miniseries was out, number four, who's a villain in the current Daredevil book. He was in Punisher War Journal 67. Uh, There was a Spider-Man magazine that came out. There was a Spider-Man Shadow Games, where awful thing written by Kurt Busiek. I really disliked that. And also Venom the Mace. I wonder what that was about. Venom carry some mace with them? I forget. Anyway, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 390 came out, which was the main book of this month. And it was written by J.M.D. Mateus and Mark Bagley on pencils. Take me there, J.R. What happened? They were talking about J.M. Uh, you guys were talking about learning to crawl, uh, retconning or contradicting stuff that J.M.D. Mateus wrote. I mean, J.M.D. Mateus has, himself has been completely retconned. I mean, <laughs> you know, his, I mean, he killed off Craven, he killed off Aunt May, he killed off Harry, and you know, for the most part, in stories that a lot of other people liked, and they have all been reversed. So, <laughs> it, it's like if you see a story written by J.M.D. Mateus, it's kind of, you can almost pretty well count that it's been written, rewritten out of continuity anymore. Um, uh-huh. But what happened here? There's this, folks, this is we're, we're, we're heading to, we're heading into pathetic land here. This is I bad, got, huh? 
Well, see, it, it's it's going to get worse, but to set it up, okay, just two, <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> just two months ago, the awful, awful robot, robot parent story ended, which was a two-year-long subplot that went nowhere, you know, and then, and they had, it was obvious that Marvel had no idea where it was going to wind up. And then it wound up being a plot by the chameleon to learn more about Peter Parker's connection to Spider-Man. So he created robot duplicates of Richard and Mary Parker, you know, and, and well, that's how that story ended. Well, then Spider-Man found out that the chameleon was behind it, you know, and so then the next month, which is the prior month of this, we had the four-part pursuit where he goes after the chameleon, and then he finds out that, oh, it wasn't just the chameleon, it was a posthumous scheme by Harry Osborne. You know, because mm-hmm. Harry was dead at this time. He was dead, really dead, really dead, because, after all, the jackal checked. Uh, so <laughs> we had that. And so now and now we're dealing with the, the bitter repercussions, uh, the, the, the bitter fruit that has been sown from those... Uh, issue those months and we are entering the preliminary stages of the clone saga yep. so episode so number 390 390 actually has a pretty good beginning uh this is after this is after peter has learned that uh, harry was behind the uh, robot parent scheme and peter goes to the osborne mansion and He's got a mask of the goblin and a mask of Spider-Man, and he's looking at a portrait of Norman and Harry, and he just, it's like, you know, just his his hatred for Norman just absolutely, you know, continues to fester and grow, and basically he says, well, congratulations, you sick son of a bitch, you finally did it, you killed your own son. Uh, and it's just, and he, he rips the porker apart. But I mean, it just, it really is a good moment, and back in the days when Norman Osborn was really dead, I mean, little moments like these were, were just really effective in showing how, how his poisonous legacy just continued years and years after he was gone. Uh, it was really, I mean, Norman Osborn really was the most effective dead character, I think, <laughs> for a very long time. Uh, but I am glad they, they brought him back. Um, yeah. And then, of course, that was the best part. And uh, now we go to Arkham or not Arkham Asylum. <laughs> we go. We go to the we we might go to as well. Parker Asylum. Parker we, Asylum. We, we might. Yeah, might as well be Arkham or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and it's run by Ravencroft, the Marvel knockoff of Arkham Asylum. And we meet the the you know basically the the, the warden there, or the head shrink there, or whatever, Doctor Kafka, who is we should remind you a woman. Not and not a, a male Doctor Strange love impersonator who plays Blue Danube in the background. Like, <laughs> or, uh, is this is this Kafka's first appearance? Uh, it, no, 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 no. Well, I think this is Kafka's first appearance after the uh, body makeover that she got in the uh, oh, okay, the yeah. facelift <laughs> and the uh, yeah. you know because when she was originally created by. J.M.D. Mateus, <laughs> you know, talk about retcons, and I think it was, uh, was it your pal Sal or Alex Suviak, the first brewer? I think maybe uh, it was I your, I, remember. I think it was your pal Sal, but she was a clearly yeah. a heavier, middle-aged woman. Um, she was not Peter Parker's contemporary by any means, and she's yeah. still not really, but anyway, so, but now she's younger and hotter and everything, you know, because... 
you know, it, real life has, you know, the comic books don't have room for middle-aged people. They don't have room for slightly overweight people. You know, everybody's got to be young and thin and, and you know, screwable. You know, so uh, yeah, our, our friends at Wikipedia say Spectacular Spider-Man number one seventy-eight, July of nineteen ninety-one was Ashley Kafka's first appearance, written by J.M.D. Mateus and my pal Sal Buscema. There we go. Okay, okay, but anyway, so now instead of middle-aged and dumpy, she's young and hot, and she's dating John Jameson. All right, so anyway, we go there and and we meet this villainess called Shriek. Now we first met Shriek, uh, not Shrek now, Shriek. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we first met her during that uh, the the the, the, max, the classic Maximum Wank Fest, known as Maximum Garbage. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know where where she where she and Carnage and and the second Parian <laughs> formed this little dysfunctional family and went all you know all over New York killing everybody. You know, well they went all over New York killing everybody, and the National Guard didn't step in, the Army didn't step in, the Governor didn't do. Nobody did anything. They just let those crazy friggin' New Yorkers kill each other, you know, because that's what they do in, in Manhattan. Um, oh, God. Anyway, so now she's in Ravencroft. She's in Ravencroft, and she's shrieking because well, she's called Shriek. But anyway, Ashley Kafka feels sorry for her because this is J.M.D. Mateus. J.M.D. Mateus, who apparently, you know, uh, really wanted to be some kind of limp-wristed psychologist or whatever, uh, and, and, you know, instead he wound up to be a comic book writer. But so, anyway, Dr. Kafka is feeling sorry for this murdering bitch. You know, something happened. <laughs> Good God! This is like something happened. Something Something happened to her. What, 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 am I wrong? Am I wrong? Well, no. I mean, actually, no. Not, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Something okay, happened ahead, to her. Sorry. Something happened to her when she was a child. Some trauma, so <laughs> profound, so shattering, it redefines the world. But there's a part of her, buried deep, but it's there. That's hungry for hope, for a sense of belonging. Most of all, for a sense of family. If I can just feed that hunger, provide Francis, because that's her name, Francis. Um, uh, Francis the talking mule. Anyway, Francis, with an atmosphere of of trust and love, I might be able to reach her yet. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, that, that dialogue will make you throw up more than an anorexic. I mean, that is just awful. I mean, who in the who in the world does he really believe that bullshit he writes? I mean, that's just. I mean, come on. You know. I mean. Uh, you know, you know. Why don't you go to a real prison and listen to all those sickos talk? Or why? Why don't you listen to what about you know? Uh, look at what a bunch of the the impact on kids after pedophiles have got done with them, and then go back and you know and start doing this liberal bullshit. So anyway, that's uh, that. We're, we're, we're done with that. You know. So anyway, so she's not done feeling sorry for people. You know. So she goes into another room, and we meet Malcolm McBride and his mom. And, of course, Malcolm McBride is the second Carrion because, you know, the, the first Carrion, in, in, in a twisted, bizarre kind of way, made sense. You know, I mean, it was the desiccated clone of Miles Warren. Basically, it, it died while it was in its stasis tube but still lived, and it was kind of, you know, kind of looked like a decaying, zombie, decaying corpse. Well, then, of course, it got right. This is, now we're getting into the clone cycle. Now we had to actually try to, instead of sticking with, Carrion as a decent character with some kind of, you know, silly comic book origins. Well, we had to make it a virus. 
you know, we had to actually try to make sense out of it. So McBride got infected with the carrion virus, and he's still dealing with it. And, you know, so he's seeing dead, naked bodies all over the place, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, we wake up, Aunt May is having nightmares because how could somebody do that to poor Peter by creating robot parents, you know? Uh, and then, then we go to Mary Jane. Mary Jane's contemplating taking up smoking again, you know? Oh, and then, God, you know, she, yeah. Peter Parker is sitting there, sitting and sulking, you know, and, and then, and then, and then Mary Jane sits by him and says, well, no running, no mask, no cancer sticks. We don't need them. All we need is our love. Well, you know they're not a real married couple, if that's the way they do it. <laughs> no married. Nice. This is, see, this is why people hated. This is why some people hated Peter and Mary Jane as a married couple. Because nobody wrote them as a real, or I shouldn't say nobody, but this isn't how real married people talk to each other. You know, I mean, even... Married people who might still actually like each other, which I don't know what that's like anymore. Uh, that's not how they talk to each other. It's stupid. Anyway, so, okay, back to Ravencroft. Anyway, so, Dr. Kafka, being the brilliant psychiatrist she is, because she knows how to deal with these psychologically damaged people. You know, Malcolm McBride says, oh, I'm crazy. And so instead of, like, you know, sitting down with him and charging him about $300 an hour to listen to him complain about his mom, you know, she says, oh, you're not crazy, and I'll prove it. I'll show you somebody who's really crazy. So it takes him in to see Shriek. Then Shriek sees him. Shriek recognizes him. Shriek goes crazy. Shriek breaks out of prison, beats the hell out of Dr. Kafka, and escapes with Malcolm. You know, and it's like, and, 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 the, and the woman still has her job after this. It's like, what? So... So anyway, there's that. And then, you know, Peter Spider-Man goes out the window because he's, you know, Peter's in a nasty sulking phase, you know, and he says, oh, I've got to get away from Mary Jane because Peter Parker's not a safe man to be around. But as long as I'm Spider-Man, as long as I'm, st as I stay away from Peter's world, she'll be safe, uh -huh. and so will I. And this is like the harbinger of this. I am the Spider type. Yeah, I understand. You know, so he goes swinging off, and yeah. you know, and, he, and he's going to go. He goes, oh, I know what. I'll, I know what'll make me feel better. I'll go see Doctor Kafka. And the last panel is Doctor Kafka laying there in traction. So to be continued for three more months of the same goddamn thing. Wow. <laughs> All right. So you love the issue, Jer? Uh... Oh, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, this just one... just like my buddy Gavin did the trailer trash. You stole us for breeze. <laughs> this one, ironically enough, 20 years ago, had a variant. Yep. You could actually get the issue uh, polybagged with an animation cell from the new cartoon on Fox, um, Spider-Man cartoon coming out, uh, was an animation cell. And I, I remember those. And I, I opened my polybag, Jr. Uh, well, I hope you did it in private and that nobody saw you do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 in fact, I don't know. I, I, shall we bring up more jokes about the uh, the uh, Spider-Man no, no. statue? No, no. Okay. Uh, actually, actually, all the issues of Spider-Man this month had variants with animation cells, including Marvel Tales. 286 had a, had a bag with it. Uh, you want to do spec, adjective list, or web next? What do you like? Uh, well, let's go ahead and do spec, uh, because spec okay. actually, I, I wish I had, uh, again, this this is one of these uh, 
uh, times where I really didn't have time to read the whole stories. Uh, but, but this is another uh, part one of a multi-part tale. But I think this was only two parts. This was actually a little better. Uh, and, uh, but, but I'll let the host of the show set it up. A spectacular uh, Spider-Man Volume 1, number 213, came out this month, June of 94, written by uh, Ann Nocenti and James Fry on pencils. He's going up against uh, Typhoid Mary, a Daredevil villain. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, anyway, so what happens is uh, Spider-Man comes across, or as Peter Parker, he comes across a crime scene uh, where this uh, this uh, uh, dirtbag, uh, I'm trying to think of what he, oh, serial killer, you know, uh, killer of women. Somebody got to him. Somebody got to him and, uh, you know, uh, bobbited his whole body, just cutting to pieces and everything. And uh, anyway, so for those of you in the 90s who remember NYPD Blue, uh, David Caruso and Dennis Franz are in here investigating the case. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so they, they do make a cameo appearance, but if I were David Caruso, I would sue, because that is an absolutely awful depiction of him. Uh, Dennis Franz, on the other hand, uh, there's not much you can do, good or bad, to that. He looks like Dennis Franz. But anyway, there's this witness there who, saw, who actually saw the whole thing, and she's just really tore up. I mean, it's just really, uh, she, she can't deal with what she saw. And so Peter says, hmm, I know what. She's obviously probably very disturbed and probably needs some experience counseling right now. So what I'll do is I'll take her home to Mary Jane and have Mary Jane talk to her and settle her down. <laughs> okay, makes a lot of sense. You know, Mary Jane being a trained psychiatrist and everything. Well, we 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 do see later that this mayor, this this girl he talked to, whose name is Mary Walker, she's pretty unstable. And then we find out why she's unstable because guess what? She really is Typhoid Mary. And so then Typhoid Mary goes to the Parker House because Peter gave this you know seriously disturbed young woman in need of professional counseling his address and his <laughs> wife's name. And so she goes to, so Typhoid Mary goes to visit Mary Jane and basically says a whole lot of unfeminist things, which gets, you know, Mary Jane in a Gloria Steinem rage. Uh, you know, she, you know, Typhoid Mary is belittling her as a woman and as a wife saying, I bet you, you know, I bet you iron his underwear. And uh, Mary Jane says, I do not. My husband cooks and cleans as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's some class. That's how you deal with the supervillain. Mary Jane's like, uh, yeah, my husband doesn't wear underwear. <laughs> That's right. It's always, always Have you seen the statue in Korea? <laughs> I, I'm far from some pathetic exploited slave wife. I'm a I have a career. I'm independent. It's like what? Wait a minute. What am I? What, am I? Am I reading? Am I reading the my, my members edition of Now Magazine for the month? Holy shit! Um, but anyway, so. Typhoid Mary goes crazy, tears up the Parker home. You know, Spider-Man comes and says, oh, gee, a crazy, a crazy woman's in my house, and this time it's someone other than my wife. Uh, but uh, so anyway, so he goes looking for, for Typhoid Mary. Uh, who's who's going around, you know, I don't know what the hell she's going around. She's going around beating up guys because she's a man-hater because all these women supervillains have men issues. See, they're not. They're not supervillains just because they're supervillains because they're evil or they're crooked. It's because they have man issues, because men are evil, men are pigs, men are just bags who only think with their penises and stuff. You know, so anyway, she and Spider-Man, <laughs> she and Spider-Man fight, you know, and then she yeah. runs away, and then she turns into something called Bloody Mary, which she has like an armored costume, and she goes after trying to kill this guy. 
you know, and then she gets away, and then Peter's, then Spider-Man says, oh, my God, Typhoid Mary, Bloody Mary, and that Mary Walker that I met are all the same person. And I gave her my address. Wow. To be continued. He ain't, right. he ain't back. Uh, wow. Um, well, good. Not a fan of the issue, Jr. <laughs> well, it was better than the pre- Amazing Three Ninety, but uh, I mean, you can kind of you can kind of see a, a recurring theme here. The, the, the writing is just the, the writing during this period of time is just bad. So, but anyway. It's, uh, it's a shame I... we don't have Spidey do here to defend the clone saga because I'm sure he would <laughs> defend it in his own misguided well, way, just as those who would defend Secret Wars defend it in its own oh, oh, misguided oh, way. This so... is not the clone saga, though. So this is this is why this is why the clone saga had to be made supposedly because of how just pure shit this was. I mean, this whole <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> yeah, the clone saga made it all better, didn't it? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> one, one thing I noticed that I did not know before: it looks like Joe Maderia or Joe Joe Mad did the cover of this issue. I didn't know that. Until I just looked at the signature of who did the cover. Not uh, my pal Sal, who's had a long run on spec. Uh, also, that came out this month, Jr. You want to do web or adjective list? Let's do adjective list because web has its own special place in Spider-Man Hell, which you know you will find out. <laughs> um, so, wow. so let's so let's go ahead and uh, and do adjective list. Okay, Spider-Man adjective list uh, number forty-seven. Uh, the writer, Howard Mackey. The pencils by one of my favorites, Tom Lyle. We don't talk about Tom much, but I liked his stuff on Adjective List. This looks like a part two. Yes, Beware the Rage of a Desperate Man. In other words, this is this is a four-part tale where Peter Parker goes around complaining about how life is unfair. And I think during one of these parts, even the, Hob- the Hobgoblin, which is Massendale, uh, it's not in this this particular issue, but I think even he gets fed up with it and says, "Get you know, you know, stop bitching and moaning. That's the way life is, you dumbass." But anyway, this this we don't have that though. This is this is part two, and we open with Massendale uh, going to uh, where the hell is he going? It's got like a lot of snow. You would think, you know, but he's going to meet Vladimir. And Vladimir is the son of Craven, or I should say the first son of Craven that we met, because as everyone knows, there have been many. Uh, so he's going to see Vladimir Craven for some unspecified reason <laughs> right now. Anyways, but then the scene switches to the Demo Goblin, who's in who's in prison, or who's at Rikers Island. And of course, you remember the Demo Goblin, who was created back when Massendale was the Hobgoblin and wanted to have the powers of a demon, so he petitioned the demon, some something without a whole lot of vowels in his name, I don't know, to giving powers of a demon. And so the big demon did that, and then uh, was it? And then in a later issue, the the demon part was separated from Massendale and became Demo Goblin. And was also in anyway, so Demo Garbage Goblin. <laughs> what, 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 he was also in uh, in uh, Maximum Garbage as well. So yes, he uh, was. So we're we're getting we're really getting into some great. This is know. also very sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. You know this is and see the Demo Goblin kills sinners. 
you know, because that's no, an original concept. Not. I mean, we, we don't we don't have vigilantes who kill criminals. We don't have fool killers who kill fools. You know, so we we don't have enough of those kind of characters. So he kills sinners. But anyway, so he, you know, I guess he senses that there's a, you know, he's in prison and he realizes, oh man, I'm here with a bunch of sinners. I've got to kill. So I guess I better break out. So he. You know, the, he starts feeling his powers, and he starts getting ready to, to bust out and start killing people. But anyway, we switch back to Massendale, and it turns out that what Massendale wants to do, Massendale goes to Craven's son because he wants Craven's sons to give him this, uh, this a dose of this magic elixir, which gave, supposedly gave Craven the power to stand up to Spider-Man because Massendale wants superpowers. Um, Okay. <laughs> oh my lord. Anyway, so Spider-Man goes to to Rikers Island and, and fights the Demo Goblin, and we go back and forth between that and and uh, Vladimir and and Mackendale arguing, and you know back and forth, back and forth, and the issue ends with uh, Mag, Mag, you know uh, Vladimir and his henchmen plotting to kill Mackendale when the when the when the transfer of this elixir into Mackendale's body is complete. Um, Spider-Man fights the Demo Goblin in Rikers Island. Demo Goblin gets away, and we have two more issues of this crap coming after that. Wow! So. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Just to say, to do a little spoiler thing, the um, because we know what the next issue is. Um, the only worthwhile thing that Jason Mackendale Hobgoblin ever did was kill the Demo Goblin. Pretty much, <laughs> that was the yeah. That's no, like seriously, the mankind. Yeah, exactly. No kidding. I mean, I, you get a pass. That's what you get a yeah, pass. That, You're you, right. you get one. Yeah. You get one. You basically, yeah. it, it, basically, essentially, that was the that was the only word, you know. But yeah, I just I just never understood the idea of the demo goblin in there. I thought it, it. I mean, you do not. I mean, of all the things that really do not fit in Spider-Man's world, is you have like supernatural demonic characters whose whole thing, is like, oh, I'm going to punish all sinners, no matter how slight. I mean, it's like it just. You know, uh, I mean, this this guy was just, I mean, so, and of course, well, not that Mackendale was any better as a Hobgoblin either, but, you know, geez. The uh, last issue that we're going to talk about uh, is Web of Spider-Man number 113, uh, written by Terry Cavanaugh, enough said. Uh, Alex Savick, one of my favorites, but man. And according to spiderfan.org, this is one of the worst of the worst stories ever for Spider-Man. <laughs> because what are we going to introduce in this issue, JR? We are going to introduce none other than the full acclamation combat and defense ex- explode <laughs> skeleton known as Facade. Facade. The facade. facade. This oh, yeah. is it, boys and girls. Now, some as I was going through this again, I, I was only able to skim through the first part. I, I really couldn't read it all, all the four part, and it's awful, not it's full awfulness. Some people will go back and say, "Well, yeah, this story sucked," but you know, because as we noted during a previous, <laughs> well, as we know we, we've talked about Terry Terry, Terry Cavanaugh's story before. We profiled. Uh, that what what was it? Some kind of infinity stupidity crossover oh, thing? Infin- in, infinity Crusade and and Web, yeah. And, and Web one hundred and six too. <laughs> don't forget Teen Tony Stark. Also, he was also the architect. Oh that, yeah, he did Teen Tony Stark. Yes, well, he was, was the architect behind that one, and also oh. co-founded the Clone Saga as well. So we yeah. got so he's got a 
Excellent track record, uh, Mr. Kavanaugh. Yeah, <laughs> this is, yeah, I mean, this, uh, God, I mean, horrible. But anyway, so, you know, 106 was really bad. And so someone may say, well, this is just typical of all of Ter- Terry Kavanaugh's shit. You know, what makes this stand, what, what makes this church stink worse than all the others? Well, this one has become synonymous with utter pointlessness, editorial abandonment, and the killing off of a decent supporting character by a villain no one cared about in a mystery that intrigued absolutely no one. Um, basically, the story in a nutshell is this pharmaceutical company has developed by a scientist named Haney, and you almost expect him to, you know, try to try to con Mr. Douglas into something. Uh, but the, the scientist is named Haney. Uh, and he's introducing this exoskeleton, which, yeah, was like I said, is the full acclamation combat and defense exoskeleton. Now, what does it mean, exoskeleton? Does that mean like you know guts? You know, it's like you, you like you see these whale videos, you know, where these whale bloated whales uh, get beached or whatever, and someone sticks something in them and they explode. You know, that's what I think about when I think of explode. You know, that maybe somebody's guts ought to be spilling out. But anyway, so this is a, this is a battle suit. And what we have is we have this big ass setup. We have we we have all these you know Jonah Jameson coming in, John Jameson coming in, and everybody's saying weird things and acting all kind of all bitchy and pissy and mad and everything. And we get introduced to this new character called Arthur Bryce, who's this real rich suave dude who's hitting on Betty Brant, and you know. And then we've got another we've got another philanderer who's hitting on Betty Brant, who gets name checked prominently by the name of Wilson. And we're just obviously setting up something. The black cat you know, has come in, you know, is here, and she's just absolutely, you know, dressed in almost nothing but a stole, um, and, uh, or, no, a boa, a feather boa or whatever, just looking like an utter swat. Uh, and I have no idea, no idea what she is doing, no idea what she is doing here. And so, anyway, facade, uh Okay, yeah, the facade suit goes through a demonstration, and all, everybody's just awed by it. The Jamesons are awed by it, and Arthur Bryce is awed by it. You know, you just get the feeling, oh, God, something's being set up. Well, Spider-Man shows up, Spider-Man comes, and, you know, he runs into Gambit. Well, what the hell is Gambit doing here for? You know, Gambit was I mean, popular in the 90s, JR. Yeah. That's why he was stuck, they stuck him in there. But, but it's like he is, there's no purpose to the story. None. Oh, he's yeah, just I'll there, <laughs> you know. And and and, and does and, and he doesn't have, he doesn't uh, he doesn't use H's. You know. I mean, it's like <laughs> do French people really talk like this? He's you know, uh, not don't... French. So I guess that's a distinctive. Oh, he's Cajun. Answer. Yeah, he's Cajun. Ca- yeah. That's why he doesn't pronounce it. Again, I never, you know, he says, but ten, again, he doesn't say then, ten. And Remy Lambeau, I mean, Remy, wasn't Remy the name of the rat in Ratatouille? You know, (laughs) so we have a a, a superhero, a Cajun superhero named after a chef, a rat who's a chef. But, uh, (laughs) so they have this utterly pointless fight, and, and because Remy is... Or, or Cajun, he says on me. You know, he spe- he speaks English, but then you know he says certain French words to keep letting you know that he's French. You know, yep. they have a pointless fight. Uh, someone breaks out in, and breaks out the facade suit. Now Lance Bannon is here, and of course Lance Bannon has been around 
for several years. Uh, he was, Ten years plus, I would guess. Yeah, he was actually introduced by the, during the dreadful Denny O'Neill era, which you know rivals the uh, the Burn Mackey reboot era for just about the worst in Spider-Man's history. Um, uh, so you know, Lance was a uh, photographer rival of Peter Parker's. You know, and for a minor supporting character, he he he, he fulfilled a purpose. You know, he, he like I said, he was a competitor of Peter Parker's. Uh, he was a hobgoblin suspect. Uh, you know, he you know he had a girlfriend that flirted with Peter, and you know, created a little bit of tension between Peter and Van and blah. You know, he 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 served a purpose in the background. Uh, well, he's here taking pictures, and he's you know he's. Uh, there's this there's this rookie photographer by the name of Cole Cooper. Talk about you know talk about your I think his name's Cole Cooper. Talk about your alliteration. Yeah. Following him around, driving him crazy. Um, and so we have all these people being name checked. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Lane's Bannon walks in on Facade, who just killed Mr. Haney, and. Uh, Lance Bannon takes a picture of Facade, uh, and then Facade kills him. And, oh, I forgot to mention the invisible, the invisible fighters called the, what are they called here? The, uh, what the hell are they called here? The silencers. Mercenary stealth experts. But the black cat is able to, uh, defeat them by, uh, using her vibra claws to slice through the exterior camouflage circuits. And the feedback put the silencer out for a count. The count. And not only that, but Spider-Man is able to use some of his know-how because he doesn't need to decipher all this wiring to cross-polarize the most obviously incompatible circuitry on this down silencer and hope for a simple disruptive counterpulse through their mutual camouflage fields. So, uh, anyway, so Lance Bannon dies at the end. Um, you know, Spider-Man and Black Cat and Remy all say, you know, what, did the story need any of us to really be here? What the, what the hell are we doing here? Uh, you know, Gambit continues to talk without using H's. Uh, he also speaks English, except when he wants, you know, when Terry Cavanaugh wants him to drop obvious French words like Cherie, you know, things of that nature. Um, and that's the end of the story, pretty well. Wow. Uh, and I'm not doing it justice. It's it's like I said, you know, someone may look back and say, um, you know, what what what's the why is this so worse than any others? But the thing is, they Kavanaugh spent a great deal of time trying to set this mystery up. It was and it lasted four parts, and we never found out who Facade was. Do we have find, any, Did we have any hints of who it might be, in your opinion? Uh, my guess is it was probably the rich dude, Arthur Bryce. Yeah, Arthur you know, Bryce was the most logical guy he, in this. You know, because, because he was name-checked the most prominently, uh, yeah. you know, and he was flirting with Betty and, and all, you know, just he really was standing out. And you knew it couldn't be any of the Jamesons uh, and, yeah. you know, some of these other weasel characters. Well, but that's who knows? Why, well, that's probably why we never got an answer of, of who it was, actually, because maybe he kind of thought, oh, it's kind of pretty obvious who it's not and probably who it is and so oh i gotta make it more mysterious and stuff like that so but um yeah it just it was one of these things where you're just like um i was just almost kind of like almost kind of you know odd almost kind of like a little fan fanboys fantasy that you know was this cole cooper related to carly cooper in any way i was like thinking hmm that's you know but oh you mean the yeah the, i just thought that was, the crawl i didn't even think of that yeah i just thought that well, was like I, I don't think there is any relation. I just thought that was kind of like an odd little, you know, 
Quinketing. So if anyone, so if any future Marvel writer would, I don't know why, want to revisit this story, they can probably try to throw in a, that connection somehow. But hopefully, a future Marvel <laughs> writer doesn't bring up Carly Cooper. Uh, the thing is the the facade mystery was never solved Uh, so basically what you had was you had a a, a supporting a long time fairly long time supporting character killed for absolutely no reason Mm -hmm. in a mystery you know nobody in a story nobody cared about nobody cared who facade was Right. Nobody was ever going to care who facade was it it was it, it just really is I mean, it's not so much that it's a bad story, but it literally is a poster child for just the utter pointless garbage that the '90s was publishing, oh, uh, that, yeah. that Marvel was publishing. It, it's, it's, you know, it's not the, it's not probably not the worst example, but it's, it is the, I guess, you know, one of the most notable examples just for its sheer utter pointlessness. And Jr. mentioned a uh, writer that a lot of us dislike. And I didn't care for his stuff either, Terry Cavanaugh. And I, I, as Jr. was talking, I'm like, I wonder what happened to Terry Cavanaugh. And I found the answer. Uh, evidently, Terry Cavanaugh left Marvel. I found his LinkedIn page. He worked at Marvel from 1984 to 2002, which was 18 years, which is a long time. And he, in 2009, formed a internet startup called www.mybeanjar.com. <laughs> And it's an internet startup uh, with games with benefits, not friends, games with benefits. And it's a website that allows players of the games to receive free stuff like cupcakes or Pizza Hut pizzas or Starbucks coffees at certain levels of achievement in the game. So that is what Terry Cavanaugh has been doing for the last five years from 2009 to 2014. Well, thank well, that's, even, that's even more obscure than what Nightcat's <laughs> doing these days. <laughs> than what? That's even more obscure than what Nightcat's doing these days. Oh, <laughs> Nightcat. <laughs> now, this, this, and, and this whole thing, these stories, I mean, these stories are just, this time period is just awfully unpleasant. I mean, Peter Parker is just written horribly. He's just absolutely detestable during these issues. And it's it just, it's, oh, it's reinforced over and over and over through four monthly issues every single oh, yeah. month. You know, and I think it, they did it deliberately to make him seem like an utter nutcase so that when they brought in Ben Riley, you know, people would, you know, oh, look how cool Ben is. And Peter is acting like a total douchebag. Oh, yeah, good. We'll accept Ben as a new Spider-Man. It's yeah, this is this this, this yeah. folks. We we this is this is the precipice. You know, we're on the precipice, and we're just about to jump off the cliff. You know, I there almost kind of have to kind of wonder whether or not they were kind of trying to make Spider-Man a little bit more like Batman during the time period, since Batman during the '90s was you know even even more of a phenom. You know, what with the with all those stone things, with that whole I am the Parker, I am the Spider, like and then Parker is dead and all that stuff. Because yeah, I mean these were. I mean, especially some of the stuff that was coming out of Amazing. There's some just some grim, dark, you know, gritty crap that you know that they were just so obsessed with back in those days and stuff. I mean, it's just, I mean, for instance, I I kind of like J.M.D. Mateus as a writer and stuff, like that, but often too many times he just got into this whole, like you said, like got into this whole like, oh, everything is some kind of psychological, you know traumatized thing like it just kind of became so repetitive after a while like in terms of like like everything he tried to be like oh like i have like he tried to capture 
Craven's Last Hunt with Crapster? every single... What? That's funny. Crap, Crapture is what you, is what you said. Crap, yeah. <laughs> oh, you just made up a new verb, man. I'm going to use... That is... Yeah. You Crapture it. Crapture him, but you do a shitty job of doing it? Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's which word it is. It's a, it's a crazy... It's right. a Crapture. That's it's awesome. I love that. Yeah. It's a Crapture of... Batman, <laughs> Batman, essentially, is what he was doing, what was going on with Spider-Man. You know, but, nice. I mean, but yeah, I just, I this was one of this, this was a very tough time for you going to spider And the funny thing is, this is when, when, when I was actually, sad to say, this is actually was a period where I was actually kind of somewhat more, inve- getting even more invested in Spider-Man comics, you know, at the, around this time period, because I was kind of like, is both my brother and I were actually picking stuff these, these these up around this time, so this was just like this was a tough this was tough, you know for you know and of course it got even worse where, where you know especially where this is you know especially if it's going where this is all heading towards and everything like this. Oh, and also you didn't talk about how the vulture um, wasn't it also in the story where you started getting the vulture started having those um, oh stealing the youth. Out of people powers that he had, the power his flight suit. Yeah, yeah, oh, that was man. that was in that was at the end of life theft when that happened because he yeah, well, he, got, he got the biofeedback from the the robot parents or something. Yeah, I knew because I, I got because I got in, the, in this in three ninety. That's kind of where they started to introduce that element as well. So I mean, we're just um, we're we're wrapping it up. Jr., you get the last word on the segment. What do you real quick? This month sucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sums it up, baby.